Welcome to the My Buddy Green podcast. I'm Jason Wachab, founder and co-CEO of My Buddy Green, and your host. InQ is a national poetry slam champion, award-winning poet, and multi-platinum songwriter. He's been featured on A&E, ESPN, and HBO's Deaf Poetry Jam. Many of his recent tre- many of his recent poetry videos have gone viral with over 70 million views combined. And his first book, Inquire Within, is a masterful collection of his work. And today you're in for a special treat as we're going to do this in two parts. In the first part, we're going to talk about NQ's journey, specifically his love for therapy, empathy, and the creative process. And in the second part, he's going to perform some of my favorite poems. Not to be missed, guys. NQ, welcome. So great to have you here. Congrats on the amazing first book, Inquire Within. It's about time. Thank you, brother. Thank you for having me. So you're an award-winning spoken word poet, but there's a journey. That's not like the everyday path for people listening. There, there was a, a journey. So walk us through that. So yeah, I mean, first of all, if I'm at a party, you know, uh, and somebody says, what do you do? And I say, I'm a poet. <laughs> They're literally like, what? Like, they don't comprehend what that means. Even on the west side of L.A.? Yeah, yeah. <laughs> Anywhere. People have told me many, many times I'm the first poet that they've ever met. So it was interesting that, uh, you know, the camera operator said that his wife was a poet. Oh, it was really beautiful. I, I feel an immediate kinship, <laughs> you know, because uh, people don't understand how you can make a living doing that. And it was very difficult um, to figure out how to monetize it and simultaneously uh, keep my artistic integrity. So it was a journey. Um, I grew up in Santa Monica, California. Uh, My mom's a school teacher and my father was not around. I didn't meet him until I was 15 years old. Fell in love with hip hop when I was young, like 13 or 14. And uh, really just started freestyling with my friends. And I loved the expression of it. And freestyling was, I would say, my first uh, form of meditation because when you're freestyling, you can't think about anything else but the next word. And so it put me in the moment and was an outlet for a lot of the thoughts and the feelings that uh, I had no other avenue to get out of my system. And then when I was 19 years old, I wound up in an open mic for poets in Los Angeles called the Poetry Lounge. And they've gotten 350 people every single week who would show up at the Greenway Court Theater, sign up on a list, get on stage and spit their words and uh, it was like church without religion. It was uh-huh. the first time that I ever saw people being celebrated for vulnerability. You know, someone would get on stage, they'd say something true, and the whole audience would, you know, snap and clap and cheer. And I was hooked, man. So I got up and started doing my rapping a cappella, and uh, just never left. And then ended up being on HBO's Deaf Poetry Jam and. We won the National Poetry Slam Championships together, and that community became a family. And one day I woke up and realized I was more of a poet than an MC, and that's where the beginning of the journey. So I'm curious, way back when, if you're going back to high school and you talk about um, you know, hip-hop and freestyling, who were your influences back then? We're about the same age, I think. How old are you? I'm 45. 41. Okay. Yeah, so it's that era where everyone had their own unique voice, their own unique style. Um, everyone from, you know, Rakim to Trap Call Quest, to Freestyle Fellowship to Gangstar, you know. But you went to poetry, though. Like, how did that, was it just showing up that night and having that moment? Because most people don't go that direction. As you said, like, most people, what do you do? I'm a poet. It's 
probably more people would say I'm a hip hop artist or right. I'm a musician, but talk about, so was it just the magic on that first night or did, did you have any interest in poetry? Um, you know, when I was a, a kid, probably 15, um, I ended up having an opportunity to go to the UCLA Young Writers Retreat. And uh, they basically gathered kids from all around Los Angeles from the different high schools. And they brought them up to this program and you would pay like a really minimal fee and they would take care of everything because they just wanted people to have an experience of learning how to be a writer. And at the time I had no interest in writing and no interest in poetry. I just was a rapper and that was what lit me up. But I figured, you know, it's pretty much a free trip. <laughs> you know, it was an opportunity to meet kids from different places. And, and so I, I took it up and there was a writer there that they brought in to be the featured um, person to bring people through workshops. And his name is uh, Jack Grapes. And uh, he was a professional poet. And I remember looking at him thinking, huh, I didn't even know that you could do that. Like, I didn't even know that was even a thing, you know? And, um, and didn't think much about it. I just kind of went through that experience and then I went back the next year. And, um, and then many, many years later, when I became a professional poet, the UCLA Young Writers Retreat reached out to me to be the featured poet. And I was like, yeah, I would love to, you know, thank you so much for thinking of me. You've made a big impact on my life. Because of that one moment, I realized wow. that that was even possible. And they were like, what are you talking about? They had no idea that I had gone. So they just reached out to me completely independent. <laughs> um, and that felt like a very full circle moment. And then I got to go and teach, you know, 150 kids from around Los Angeles and hopefully provide them with a platform to explore their creative writing and, and really just the stories of their lives to tell their stories in a way that brings empowerment. So, you know, Peter Tunney, the, yeah, the artist. Yeah, so one him. time I had a conversation with him and I said, you know, what does it take to succeed as an artist? And he said, the ability to suffer. Yeah, that's true. <laughs> you have to have an incredible ability to suffer. He didn't talk about, you know, shapes or schools or, or yeah. technique or anything, or it was the ability to suffer. What's your take on that from a creative standpoint? Definitely suffering is a part of it, but I've reached a point where I don't perpetuate my suffering in order to create from. <laughs> you know, a lot of people do that. A lot of people think their suffering is necessary, so they perpetuate it in order to have something to create. But, you know, you can create from any of the pain that you've experienced in your life. You know, the things that actually are going to be the most painful are going to happen on a random day. There's no way for you to, you know, uh, seek it out. Right. And there's no way for you to block it out. It's just going to happen. So you can use any of the pain from the past. You can also use your imagination, you know, but you have to start in a place that's true. For, for me, like, for example, I had an experience once where I actually write about this in the book. Um, I was going through a breakup and I came home to my house and I was like, I'm going to write a breakup poem. <laughs> you know, like, I'm going to sit down, I'm going to write my breakup poem. So I sit down and right before I started writing it, I decided I was going to read through all of my old breakup poems first. And so there were nine of them. I like looked them up. <laughs> By the way, I want to make it clear. It wasn't nine different relationships. It's like, come on, man. Yeah. <laughs> Some of them were doubled up. But it was still, it was an embarrassing no amount. No judgment. Yeah. An embarrassing amount of breakup poems. So I like read these breakup poems 
in a row out loud to myself. And when I finished, I was like, oh, I get it. I, I don't need to write a new breakup poem because all of my old breakup poems were applicable to my current breakup. Like maybe I'm the problem or maybe maybe there's a theme here. Or. Yeah, maybe, maybe I, I need to figure out why I'm continuing to create the same lesson in a different disguise over and over again. And that was actually a pivotal point that, uh, you know, I'll bring back to what you had mentioned, which is that I realized that I was creating from my pain and then almost exaggerating it by retelling that same story over and over to myself and to other people. And so from then on, I decided that I was never going to ignore my pain. I mean, I'm not like one of these proponents of like, like I believe in the law of attraction. Of course, it's all vibrating energy. And if you change your frequency, you change what you're attracted to and what you're attracting. But I'm not like everything's cool all the time. <laughs> it's all good, everyone. I'm great right now. You know, that's not the human experience either. It's the roller coaster and you have to embrace it all and feel through it all and integrate it all so that you can alchemize it. So I always want to write from my pain, but there's a difference between writing from my pain and then winding up in hope and empowerment and writing from my pain and continuing to sell myself the same disempowering stories over and over. I didn't want to leave myself with that nor my audience. Well, I'm glad you said telling yourself the same story over and over because we use that that phrase all the time the mm. stories that we tell ourselves whether we're a poet or not right we tend to you know things happen to us and we create a story and a narrative and sometimes that's an appropriate narrative and other times it's not and we repeat it yeah and so where i'm going like the title of the book is inquire within and i love it because there's so many like real world powerful lessons in the book and but go back to the title, Inquire Within. Like, how do we harness that? How do we, you know, listen to our inner voice and have the ability to, to really tune in when we deal with an unfortunate moment or something in life and really harness that and reflect and use that? Well, I mean, number one, like if you're getting triggered, right, by a moment, oftentimes you bring in unresolved emotions from the past into that new moment. And then you're not actually responding from what's happening. You're responding from your projection of the past. And in that way, you're not actually able to deal with the reality of what's going on. So just acknowledging that and being aware of it, I think, is the first step. Um, you know, we called this book Inquire Within because, first of all, INQ was originally inquiry. And when I was in high school, I asked a lot of questions so my friend was like, you know, you're really curious. Your rap name should be Inquiry. And then people just started calling me NQ, and then it was shortened to Q, and pretty much rarely heard my real name after that, you know. And Inquire Within is really my life philosophy. I mean, if you look at the cover, you know, for anybody. Beautiful tree. Yeah, well, so the tree. With roots. The tree mirrors the roots, right? Yeah. But if you look at it this way, it's lungs, Ah, and uh, the two halves of the book are inhale and exhale and inhale is the personal poems it's like my personal poetic hero's journey and then exhale is the social and political stuff so it's like change yourself change the world mm -hmm. and uh, I think that consumerism in general is constantly trying to take from us these days um, and it's trying to take our likes, it's trying to take our love, it's trying to take our attention, our money, 
our energy, our information. Now it wants our information too, you know? And so we're almost trained unconsciously to look outside of ourselves for the answers. If I don't know something, I look on Google or I look on YouTube and technology is amazing. We were just talking about that. It's connected the whole entire world and yet simultaneously people do feel isolated. And so I think there's a difference between us using these tools of technology and having these tools of technology use us. And if anybody's listening to this right now and you have something that's going on that you can't figure out, you know, you can absolutely, you know, consult a coach or ask a friend, but also find time to just be by yourself and to just sit in the silence, allow the noise of the external world to fall away so that you can connect with your own true voice, because that is the voice that's going to give you your answer of where you need to go next. It's going to give you your purpose. It's going to give you your passion. And so I had to inquire within myself to create these poems over 25 years. I'm asking people to inquire within the pages and ultimately to inquire within themselves. And I hope that this poetry is a window for people to do so. Well, I'm glad you referenced 25 years because I think so many people yeah. in this day and age with instant gratification, you know, good or bad social media, people say like, I want to do a book. I'm going to do it now. We're going to get it done tomorrow. It's going to be out in a year from now. 25 years is that that's a process. You know, when you talk about awareness and being in tune, there's work that has to be done. You can't, it's just so hard to turn on, um, you know, when you're, when you're having a moment and there, there's work, you have to learn how to exercise those muscles and something you talk about in the book too, which I'd love to hear more about is like therapy, yeah. vulnerability. And you're very open about that. So let's talk about like the work piece of this and the inner work you've done and how you express it in the book. I mean, yeah, uh, anyone who's like judging therapy in 2020, it's like, I don't understand. I literally, I can't even comprehend it. It's like, you don't want to coach for your life. Like, I'm with you. Honestly, like, so that's the first thing. Therapy's been a big deal. I've definitely worked with a lot of. But with, with guys, it's a little bit of a, I feel like guys, there's a little bit of a stigma. Get over it. I'm with you. I'm with you. But a little, there's, guys are a little bit different than, than women there, I think. I'm glad you're talking about it, put it that way. Yeah, I mean, that's fine. I mean, anybody can do whatever they want to do, but it's been unbelievably helpful for me. And anything that has been helpful for me, I'm vocal, you know, because if, if it was helpful for me and I was hiding that from other people, how would I really be claiming to be of service? You know, therapy has been helpful to me. Body work has been helpful to me. My meditation practice has been non-negotiable. Emily Fletcher taught me how to meditate over four years ago, and I literally have not missed one meditation. I've done twice a day for over the four years, and I said that it was non-negotiable very specifically because I knew if I used the word negotiable, I would negotiate. <laughs> <laughs> so, like you know, that's been a game changer. I mean, there's been plenty of things that I've done, you know, uh, go to moto yoga still all of the time. and. Um, just anything to get myself out of uh, my own unconscious patterns so that I can live my best life. So you also talk about vulnerability a lot. And something I love that you say in the book is exploring not only the light, but our dark. I think that's important because I think we have a tendency to just, you know, park the things that are in the dark, sort of in the back. <laughs> 
It's and really a healthy thing to do. <laughs> I know, but I think we that's a natural tendency. Rather, it's it, you know, look, it's it's hard to do the work. It's hard to step into the dark. It's, it's hard. harder not to do the work. I it, think I, I really mean that. I, I agree, but talk, but like you, you talk about it a lot in the book, and I think it's important, and I think it speaks to this idea of why it's so important to be aware. And I think if I were to think of like how do how do you you know, whatever your definition of success in this world is, you know, say it's happiness. I think awareness is at the center of everything. And mm-hmm. I think with awareness, you, you got to really be aware. Totally. <laughs> of yourself, the good, yeah. the bad, the ugly, everything. And I yeah. think it's, it's difficult. It is. It's a process. Yeah. It's a process. And so, Look, we'd be remiss not to talk about coronavirus since it's, you know, you talk about information and technology and yeah. all this, it, it's everywhere. And, you know, life is fleeting, something you talk about in the book. Like, how, how, do, how, do, we, how do we balance all of this? Like, how, how do we use those internal tools you reference, you know, to, to bring inner peace in a world that can seem scary and out of control and can cause me to spin? Yeah, I mean, first of all, I feel the exact same way. So I I don't have any answers, you know. But what I will say is, is that, you know, for a person to make a change in their life, like a real change, they usually have to go through some sort of a traumatic event that wakes them up from their patterns and allows them to shift perspective on their life. And if they go through something like that, they have an opportunity in that window of time to decide whether or not they want to make a real change or whether they're going to fall back asleep. And I think that an individual is a microcosm of the collective. And I think that what we're doing as humanity is clearly unsustainable. Mm-hmm. And so I think right now we're being given a warning. And uh, I hope that we wake up to uh, the actual consequences of our actions in this world. I mean, I'm a capitalist, but I'm a conscious capitalist. I mean, I, I don't even know exactly what that means in definition, but I know that for us to continue to profit off of the suffering of people and the planet, you know, I mean, it's not going to last, man. So uh, I, I'm glad at least that we're getting a warning that is going to be very painful and has the potential of causing a lot of human suffering, but it's not an existential threat to humanity. And I hope that we can wake up to our actions and make some real systemic changes. So what do you do? What's your go-to when you know, you're anxious, you're having a bad day, you're frustrated if we all have it? Yeah. You know, what, what's your, do you have a go-to? I think the first thing that I do, um, which is like, I do this with various degrees of success and failure. You know, all of my poems, by the way, are just me purging or praying. I'm talking to myself, you know, they're reminders of the life that I want to live. So it's not like I'm standing on a pedestal saying, you guys should do this. I'm the first person in my audience, you know? So, uh, yeah, I would say that I think your point to awareness is the first thing. It's being aware when I'm triggered and uh, trying to deal with what's actually happening rather than some unresolved thing from the past or some, you know, 
fear of what could happen in the future. You know, right now, I mean, we talked about it briefly when I walked in, but people are either like, it's the end of the world, or they're like, it's crying wolf, it's gonna go away. You know, and neither one of those things are in reality on this, you know, collective level. So I think personally, it's the same thing. If I have a moment of emotion, it's trying to make sure that I acknowledge it, that I respect it, that I integrate it, and then release it so that I can make a decision in reality or take an action in reality that will help me to calibrate. So creativity is such an important outlet, especially in times like these. And you know, a lot of people out there, they're not professional artists, but you know, they, they like being creative and, and they enjoy that process and they and enjoy, you know, especially now a little bit of escapism. And yeah. so how do we be, how do, how do we tap into that? How can we, you know, if I've got a full-time job, you know, selling real estate or whatever it may be, how, right. how can I tap into that creative as an outlet? Like what advice do you have for those people who just want to tap into that? They, 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 they want to bring that side of them out there. Um, first of all, uh, you know, I'll tell you what I do, right? Which is that I just pay attention to when it is that I'm inspired, when it is that I'm moved, when it is that I'm annoyed, and then I start the poem there. And if I start the poem in a place that's true and I give it enough time and space, the rest of the poem will almost write itself. And that is much easier to me than sitting down at a blank piece of paper <laughs> and being like, I have to create something great right now. That's a lot of fucking pressure, man. <laughs> you know, so that's the first thing. The second thing is even this idea of creating something great, it's arbitrary. If you create something true, it will be great. You know, no one can teach you what your voice is in art. You know, my mom, as I said, as a school teacher, I have great respect for teachers art teachers including, but nobody can tell you what your voice is as an artist in any genre. All they can do is give you some techniques, give you a platform to explore it, give you some prompts, give you some tools. But ultimately your voice comes from you expressing it. Your voice comes from you experiencing it. It's like you can't theorize your boundaries. You have to crash up against them to know that they exist. So I would suggest people just think about something that's moving and meaningful to them. Think about a story from the past, a moment that changed who you are, a fear of the future, something that you want to get over to live your most empowered life, and then sit down and explore that through a poem and then share it with somebody, anyone, someone close to you, someone that you want to get closer to because uh, there is a completion when you are witnessed. And don't judge yourself. Or don't judge you judging yourself because <laughs> you might just judge yourself, you know, like I might feel negative one day and, you know, sad or anxious, as you said, or jealous. It's like, okay, well, if I fight against that, I'm going to create more. You have to first accept it. So accept the fact that you might judge yourself, but don't judge judging yourself and do it anyway. Right. Have the experience of your voice because we are all storytellers and we are all poets whether or not we decide to write or share anything. How did you get to that 
process. You know, some people will famous, you famously hear with, with some authors, like, I get up at 4 a.m. every day and I go and I do my best work. And there's that great, I think it's Somerset Maugham, there was a quote, you know, inspiration strikes precisely at 9 a.m. every day. Mm-hmm. And it was like a very rigorous process. That is definitely not my experience. And then, there, and then there are other people who just like, you know, I do my thing and then you hear about, you know, writer's block and they get, and then there's anxiety around it and then people cram and... You know, how, how did you get to how did you get to the groove? Because on one hand, you can't. It, it's going back to like how we're talking about Corona. On one hand, you can't just like ignore. You got to do this thing. And the other thing, other hand, you can't get like super anxious about this thing. So how did you find your, you know, this the process and, and the way that that works for you? Was it? I'm curious. Did it take a while, or did you just kind of land it there? No, I mean, it's, it's changed throughout the years. It's evolved as I've evolved and my circumstances have evolved. I mean, when I first started writing, you have to put in your outlier hours, you know, and it takes a long time to put in 10,000 hours. I'm probably at... Yeah, how many hours are you at now? I don't even know, maybe 25, 30,000. I mean, in terms of rhymes, wow. in terms of songwriting, in terms of anything that has to do with language and expressing it, um performance, you know, things of that nature. Um, And so at a certain point, I realized that me uh, trying to write, you know, it wasn't actually of service to me anymore. And, you know, there'll be times when I'm writing a poem and I'll get to a place where I'm stuck. And instead of trying to grind it out, I just kind of assume that I haven't lived enough yet. Then I go out and live some more and then I all of a sudden magically know where the poem is supposed to go next. I also don't really like strategize my inspiration. You know, a lot of people do, and I'm not judging that process. But for me, strategizing inspiration is like one step away from manipulation. (laughs) And if I'm manipulating my audience, I'm manipulating myself first. So I like to be surprised at where the poems go. You know, I want to be just as surprised as the the person is that's listening to it as I'm writing it. Um, And so I would say that my process has changed over the years and I'm looking forward to it changing in the future, you know. So you mentioned performance and you've performed in front of thousands of people and look, public speaking is a a real fear that many people have. And then when you, you, you layer on something artistic, and putting yourself out there, that's scary to a lot of people. I'm curious, did you ever, how did you become great at performing? And were you ever scared of performing in front of people? All the time. (laughs) (laughs) That's the illusion is that, you know, that's what the weird thing about like hero worship is. Not that I'm putting myself in that category at all, but in general, like when when you see someone doing something, right, that you maybe admire, we have a tendency to go, wow, they have some sort of inherent talent. Yes. Or yes. they're better than me in that department or like whatever. And what ends up happening when you do that is you almost separate yourself from them. And so their accomplishments, instead of being inspiring, they almost become discouraging. And you're like, I, I'll never do that because I'm not that person. Of course I get scared. Of course, I want everyone to watch this to like me. <laughs> Who doesn't want to be liked? I want you to buy the book. Of course, well, every, I acknowledge everyone, everyone that. Everyone should buy the book. Everyone should buy the book. Great. <laughs> Thank you. That's very nice of you. <laughs> I acknowledge that I want that. 
But if I didn't acknowledge that I wanted that for myself, then I would be trying to make it happen, trying to be some version of myself that would make that happen. And it takes so much energy to do that. So it's might as well just say, okay, yeah, I'm scared. I acknowledge it and I accept it. I'm going to try to change that into adrenaline. And even if I can't, I'm going to do it anyway. I'm going to show up, you know? So a word that gets tossed around so much, for better or for worse, but it gets tossed around, authenticity. Yeah. What does that mean to you? It's an ever-changing definition because my authenticity is ever-changing. And so, you know, even in the book, at one point I say, uh, defining myself is like confining myself. I like that. So I undefined myself to find myself. And that, that really is, you know, a part of what I'm responding to in your question is, is that it's a, a moment to moment thing. Who am I right now and how can I be authentic to that, you know? Well, I asked because there, there's so many people out there who, you know, whether it's a side hustle, whether mm -hmm. a yoga teacher, you know, again, whether we like it or not, we tend to think of ourselves as, you know, brands and personal brands and, mm -hmm. and people are trying to make it out there. And, and people talk about you know, being authentic or having a strategy. <laughs> and so I'm, I'm glad we're talking about it because it's in that, that context. You know, what, what do you say to someone listening who's, you know, trying to make it out there, whether it's as an artist or a yoga teacher or mm -hmm. a nutritionist or just make it in their career in terms of like, you know, what have you found in, in building a personal brand in a way that's authentic to you? Well, I didn't make any money. And I mean, any money until I was past 30. You know, um, I talk about this in the book, too. There's a difference between ideas and ideologies. And ideas are tools that you can use in your life that will change as your truth and your experience changes. But ideologies, they're like prisons because you have to force everything in your reality into the frame of them. Otherwise, you'll lose control over the ideology. And when the ideology becomes a part of your identity, then changing your mind means a part of you has to die. And that's why people so, they hold so tight, you know, to the things that they believe, right? So, you know, for a really, really long time, I wanted to be an MC, And I had to let go of that to truly embrace being a poet. And then I couldn't figure out how to make any money doing that. And at a certain point, I had to transition into songwriting. And I was literally writing songs for pop artists, you know, um, at the beginning of Selena Gomez and Miley Cyrus. And I had to change my definition of who I was to expand into a new world. And yet that ultimately was one of the best things that ever happened to me because I ended up learning how to write differently, mm. to write from my imagination, to think about someone else's experience, to write these songs and really round ways rather than trying to fit so many syllables and rhythms into a short, you know, whatever, tight space. And uh, then when I went back to write for myself, I all of a sudden had more tools mm. and I had financial freedom. And uh, the financial freedom was what I was able to build my poetry career on and to re-choose that with consciousness because I believe in the art form. I think poetry makes people feel less alone and 
provides us with empathy and empathy is what the world needs most right now. I say all of that to say that if you're holding on to some idea of yourself, you're not re-choosing your life. And I'm telling you right now, I re-choose being a poet every day, but I might wake up tomorrow and choose to be something else. And I give myself the freedom to have that choice because then nothing I do is an obligation. You know, I take responsibility for everything that I'm choosing to do. So, you know, continue to pursue the thing that lights you up. Follow the path and the path will lead the way. But don't become so blind to your ambition that you forget to check in every single moment, every single day to say, is this really what I want? Because then if you say yes, you can really go after it with all of yourself. I'm so glad you, you mentioned identity and ideology because we see that all the time in our, our world, mm. specifically nutrition. Yeah. I'm vegan. Right. I'm paleo. Right. I'm keto. And then when that's threatened, people get really upset. Yeah. And it's because you're threatening their, their, their identity. And I get it. And, I, and look, I, I think about it this way. It's like so many people come, who are in the wellness world, it's like something happened, health issues, something. They embrace a form of diet. And you go from being you know sick, unwell, to like, I feel great. I'm thriving better than ever. This is right. amazing. And then when that's challenged, that can be troubling to some people. And we just see it. And it's this idea of being not only aware, but being being flexible. Yeah. And being open and also knelt. And I, and I think it's a little amplified by social media. I'm curious, but like we tend to self-identify like w with what we're doing. So it's like if I embrace a certain diet and I built my brand there, it's like I have to, uh, th that's me. And right. it becomes threatening. Right. And I, and I get it. And I, to me, it's, it's almost symbolic of kind of what's happening in the larger world with politics where totally. we kind of like pick our corners and we hang out with people who, who people who essentially share the same point of view and reinforce our belief systems right. and like what 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 really doesn't get attention whether it's in you know the world of health or politics is like the the middle right <laughs> I mean, if it feels good to hate together, it's almost <laughs> like it's love. I like that perspective. But it's not. <laughs> you know? I think, uh, I think that's why people do it. That's what tribalism is so popular. Yeah. And people now have a new way to express it. You know, a new way to find their tribe, you know, and close off. And, you know, I mean, populism is popular <laughs> <laughs> so before we go we're going to do something we've never done here we're going to go to some some poems that, that you're gonna you're gonna read for us you guys are in for a treat we have an award-winning poet performing for us this is this is this is a huge deal and there are so many great ones in the book but we're gonna we're gonna stick with with three that i personally really liked and i think you guys are gonna like so we're gonna we're gonna start with the first one Say yes. I'll let you take it away. Okay. Everyone, should I do the drum roll in cue? It's hard for me to say yes. It's easier for me to say next year. When the weather's fine. When I have the money or the time. Or the relationship I want. Or the career or the house or the car 
or the watch, watch, life pass me by waiting for an invitation when the world is greater than my nation or my occupation. The only thing I know is that we're all in this together. And the future of this earth depends on how we treat each other. But how we treat each other starts with how we treat ourselves. And how we treat ourselves starts with how we see ourselves. And how we see ourselves starts with context. Nothing can exist without its opposite. Remember this the next time you find you're in an argument and both sides are talking shit and you forget your point except you're angry now and want to win so you continue yelling till they give it up by giving in so you can stand victorious because you're right. On what again? Do we laugh on instinct or do we choose to laugh? Do we ask because we care? Do we merely ask? I ask you this because I care about how humans act. We're animals, aware of our future and our past, and this can be an obstacle to traveling our path. Instead of just accepting where we're at, we analyze our tracks for what we could have had, looking back, focused on the memories instead of on the facts, hence what we attract. Still, it's strange to factor in how fast it really flashes past. It's an exponential graph from creation into ash. I'm sentimental one minute. Then I'm making plans, staking claims, shaking hands, breaking out or breaking in. I have about a billion mimes hidden underneath my skin, and they pull my face into this grin or push my wrinkled forehead in. So pour the gin and philosophize, because no one has your awesome eyes. Your view is worth the lows and highs you'll go through on this roller coaster ride. Control has got us holding on when letting go could be more fun. Hands up. Embrace the drop. Eventually the fall will stop. Level out then come back up until you reach another top because one day all your wheels fall off. So take advantage of your shocks. Do something you've never done. Do someone you've never done. <laughs> I worked better before the virus. <laughs> <laughs> I love it. We're all, Go someplace we're all. you've never gone. <laughs> someplace that will scare you some. Okay, how about this? Just be someone you've never been. You feel all that adrenaline? It's medicine to jumpstart a spark inside your skeleton. See, everywhere you are is where you're supposed to be. So hopefully, you're hopelessly as lost as me. Because if you're not, you ought to be. Wow. Wow. We're all clapping. The listeners are Thank clapping. You. So my favorite evidence. Okay. Why is this one your favorite? I, just, I don't, you know, I don't. So the reason I'm not going to say is I don't want, I want the listener to soak it all in. Okay. You'll tell me afterwards. Yeah. But I also, like, I don't want to do commentary in the, I, I originally, so guys, you're listening to my thought process. Originally, I wanted to do commentary at each one, but like, I think these are so special and unique. I want the listener to really absorb and take away their own personal meaning. So we'll take it away. So evidence. evidence. You will always find the evidence for what you choose to believe. 
you will always find the evidence for what you choose to believe. Starve your pain, find your ego. Starve your ego, find your beast. Starve your beast, find your truth. Find your truth, find your peace. You will always find the evidence for what you choose to believe. You will always find the evidence for what you choose to believe. Starve your pain, find your ego. Starve your ego, find your beast. Starve your beast, find your truth. Find your truth, find your peace. <laughs> you will always find the evidence for what you choose to believe. <laughs> you will always find the evidence for what you choose to believe. <laughs> you will always find the evidence for what you choose to believe. You will always find the evidence for what you choose to believe. So if you don't like your story, don't believe it, then you'll leave. I love it. We're all, we're all clapping again. So we'll close with the last poem, Learned Fear. Yeah, it's so interesting to do these because, you know, we, we spent a lot of time working on the illustrations for the book. So we have these 60 illustrations. We wanted it to be like a you know, Shel Silverstein-esque experience sure. through oh, my style. Yeah. But, uh, but then we spent so long on the audiobook, man. And I'm really proud of the audiobook. We just Your finished voice is it, magical. So. You doing Thanks, this man. live, you doing this, guys, listening, you're, it's a treat. It, it's reading, reading and hearing, it's, it's both. I think what's so powerful is just you, you read the book, you, you go through the book, and then hearing you do it, totally different. Yeah. And they're so. both valuable. Yeah, they're just a different so way. Different, to, to yeah, so different. Yeah, exactly. So, so learn right, fear. So learn fear. And then I have one more question for you. Great. There is nothing in life that you cannot breathe through except death. And since we're all alive, it means at least there's one breath left. So pull it deep into your chest, into your bones, into your breasts, into your blood, into your necks, into the mud, into the depth, until it hugs your souls and suffocates the space that you have left, until it tugs your heartstrings and leaves your molecules caressed. Just a few precious seconds, right before eternal rest, will you fight for your survival from this uninvited guest? Will you Rolodex your history to glamorize regrets or set your sights on new arrival and go sprinting up the steps. Me, I'll revel in the wonder of the colors and the shapes. The way the light resembles floating diamonds dancing on the lake. I am nobody's mistake. But my existence wasn't planned. I had to sneak into the party. They were out of wristbands. Now I'm sinking towards the exit like it's made of quicksand. See, I got used to spinning my wheels but hit the kickstand. I want to truly view the world around me while I still can. I want to worship every flower giving prayers over the land. 
I want to open up my eyes so wide that what I see expands and the beauty beams so bright it overwhelms woman and man. Fuck a portal to the light. I want to scream. I want to fight. I want to eat and fucking drink. I want to touch. I want to think. I want to feel and taste and see. I want to live. I want to be and I've given anything but life because I'm dying to be me. I spent half my life trying to be anything but me. Now my afterlife is spying on my new reality. And I'm vying for another breath before he sets me free. I'm defying death with everything because death's defying me. I will rant. I will rave. I will spit. I will rage, I'll go barefoot on the sun or swim a sea of razor blades. I will grow, I will age, I will slow, I will fade. I'll sleep on hot coals or juggle chainsaws and live grenades. And though I know I'll never give up, in the end I'll give way. Hey, I'm sure there's someone else with something more important to say. But until then, I'm living each and every fucking day. So when I take a breath, I do it like I swear I'm here to stay. Learned fear can be overcome when you realize the voice inside your head is not yours. It's an imitation of the voices from before, repeating on a loop inside your quiet core, receiving since your youth when your choices weren't even yours. Perceiving was the proof, but reality has many doors, so why are we still fighting other people's wars? Learned fear can be overcome when you realize the voice inside your head is not yours. It's an imitation of the voices from before, repeating, repeating, repeating on a loop inside your quiet core. And you can't tell the difference because it sounds the same. But trust me when I tell you, most of what you think is from somebody else's brain. They have us trained, shackled by imaginary chains, imaginary rules for imaginary games. But they don't know the reasons either. So where should we place the blame? And who is they anyway when we're all the same? Our parents had parents. And their parents had parents. Apparently it hurts to see, so I'll be transparent. The world is so much bigger than your insecurities. And they don't speak on your behalf without your soul's authority. The world is so much bigger than your culture or community, and they don't speak on your behalf without your soul's authority, because if it's all a story, then nobody else can tell it for me. Since I'm always transforming, I defy a category when you do the same thing the same way it's habit forming. But nothing in this land of woman and man is mandatory. It's all just transitory. Our world's a laboratory experimenting on today can change tomorrow morning. And since matter is mostly empty space, we're in a sea of consciousness where the boundaries are erased. So I stared at my reflection until I couldn't see my face. Then I picked myself and put the flowers in an empty vase. If you came for validation, then you're in the wrong place. The only certain satisfaction is becoming what you've chased. And there's no running from the inner voice. So it's important that you choose, but it's more important that you know you have a choice. You have a choice. Are you living someone else's life? 
You have a voice. Does it haunt you in the dead of night? Would you fly if you weren't convinced to be afraid of heights? And who convinced you anyway? They had no fucking right. No one can dim your light. You shine within so bright that you could blind the sun from sight and scare him back into the night. No one can dim your light. I said it twice because you're greater than the circumstances that surround your perfect life. You're not your nature or your nurture. You're a prototype. And if you hone it right, eventually you'll hack your satellite. At first, it's nothing. The nothing turns into a whisper. Turn the dial and it gets crisper in your transistor. Wait a while and the whisper turns into a scream. It overwhelms your system and you won't know what it means, but pump the volume up and it can tell you all your dreams till pretty soon it's the only voice you'll ever need. Now all you have to do is listen when you want to lead. Your fear disintegrates when you decide to stop and breathe. It's your authentic voice. No matter where you go, it never leaves. And that's God, no matter what religion you believe. I'm starting my own religion. And everyone is welcome. But nobody can join. If you did, you'd miss the point. <laughs> Keep loving through your sadness. Keep loving through your fears. Keep loving through your anger. Keep loving through your tears. Keep loving through your failure. Keep loving through success. Keep loving through anxiety. Keep loving through your stress. Keep loving through rejection. Keep loving through mistrust. Keep loving through your jealousy. Keep loving through your lust. Keep loving through your movement. Keep loving through your breath. Keep loving until loving is the only thing that's left. Amen. I think the world, the world all needs a little bit of NQ right now. And so, thank you. Thank so, you for, so, uh, for listening, man. Amazing. And, and I, 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 one last question. If you could go back in time and give a uh, little NQ advice when you're first getting up there at that open mic night, what advice would that be? Little NQ. Little NQ. <laughs> um, I would just... Lowercase NQ. Yeah, exactly. I would just say uh, it's all going to be all right. And it's the same advice I would give people now. You know, even if it isn't, it is. You know, so um, keep having faith, keep loving each other, and uh, keep being kind. Use this as an opportunity to come together. Even if we have to come together apart, we have to come together. And uh, it's all going to be all right. Amen to that. Thanks so much. Thank you for having me.